So I want to share a story that'll make more sense in a second. I was in probably, doesn't really matter, seventh or eighth grade, South Junior High School, because back then it was South Junior High School, it wasn't the middle school, seventh, eighth, ninth grade. So seventh, eighth grade, and I was <clears throat> waiting for the bus. And the buses hadn't gotten there yet, the way I remember it anyway. I don't know, normally now they're just waiting, but then they, they were just going to be, so all the kids were done, we were out there waiting for the buses, kids were throwing stuff and being loud and crazy, and, and uh, the buses were going to show up at any moment. And, and I'm sitting there on this bench against the wall, and I remember for some reason kind of looking over to my left, and, and there's a car pulling, kind of driving really slowly through the parking lot. And it's a, it's a Jaguar. It's a red Jaguar XKE. And it, from at least my heart, it, it's captivating. I love that stuff. I've always loved that stuff to a fault. I've had to wean myself off of some of that stuff. But it pulls, it pulls through the parking lot, and then it kind of comes close to where most of the kids are just hanging out, and it stops. And, like, and the whole, everything's stopping. Everyone's stopping what they're doing. It's getting quieter. And we're all just looking at this car like, oh, what's the story here? And the passenger window rolls down very slowly, and we're all kind of leaning forward, and I'm looking in, and it's my dad. It's my dad, which means I'm going to get in that car. And not only am I going to get in that car, I'm going to get in that car in front of all these kids. And it doesn't get any better than that. And as I walk to the car, this is a song I think that was going in my head. It was a, it was a gold medal moment. I got inside the car, and I don't know if you've ever been in those old English sports cars like that, but they're just leather, and you get in, you settle down in those leather seats, and I'm looking at my dad, and I'm looking at these leather seats and this long hood that goes for like a half a mile in front of me, and, and, the, and, the, and the toggle switches, I don't know why, I, I love toggle switches, it had more toggle switches than the space shuttle. And it had a push-button start. You turn the key and you push-button start. It was magnificent. It was absolutely spellbinding to me. So I got in that car and drove out of there. I don't know where we went after that. We probably went somewhere because I would ask him. I would have begged him for a little bit of a ride. And for weeks after that, for weeks after that, I would leave whatever I'm doing at the house and I'd go out and look at that car in the carport. And I'd, I knew where he kept the keys. And I would, I would I'd get in it and smell the leather. And I could, you know, it's not hard to start it. I didn't drive it. I mean, I didn't do that crazy stuff. But I'd start it. 265 horsepower, 4.2 liter engine. I mean, I just, I, I don't know. It, just, it was important to me for some reason. And yet... By the time I was almost 16, which I think there was something behind that, he sold it. My older brother drove it a little bit. My sister drove it a little bit, and then it was me. And he probably saw me come into 16. He says, I'm selling this thing. That boy ain't driving this car, which is a really good idea because that wouldn't have worked out probably very good for, for, my, for my way of whatever. But the sad thing isn't that he sold the car. 
sad thing is that after a few weeks of going out and sitting in it and looking at it and kind of enjoying it, I quit going out and looking at it and enjoying it. I just, it just, it just faded away for some reason. The wonder fades. The wonder fades. And that was probably one of the most wondrous hyphen full moments in my adolescence was that I can, I can, I can still kind of smell it if I think I can feel it. But after a few weeks, it just was another car in our carport, you know. It faded away. And I don't think I'm alone in that. I think we're all just like that. Great things happen to us in life. Things that are so significant, so amazing. But then after a while, just because we leak, turn to the person next to you and say, dude, look right now, say, dude. Right, look, say, dude. You leak. Dude, you leak. Because we do. We leak. We just leak wonder. It just goes somewhere. Okay, stop talking about it. I should never have done that. So it just fades away. Even in the most significant, wonderful moments, the wonder just fades away. It's part of being human. It's kind of how we roll. I don't like it, but it's the way life is. And so wonderful, wonderful relationships fade. Wonderful marriages can fade. Wonderful possessions, like a 1966 Jaguar, can fade. Wonderful hobbies can fade. Wonderful jobs can fade. And then what we tend to do as humans is we try to find that next wonderful thing to replace that other wonderful thing that lost its wonder. And that's just the way we roll through life, looking for that next thing so often, forgetting, just kind of losing the awe of things that should continue to awe us. So it's not a big thing in a car when that happens because you can either get another car or cars are cars. At the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. But what happens when the wonder of God fades? What happens when that happens? Because it happens. We leak wonder, and it doesn't matter about what the wonder is. It can be a car, it can be a relationship, it can be our relationship with God. It can be who God is. The wonder of who God is just fades from us, and it causes big, big problems if it's not caught and considered. So that's what we're going to do tonight. When you look in the Old Testament, you know, the Bible is full of stories of people who once held a wonderful, powerful view of God and lost the wonder and had to pay big time for that. You think in the book of Exodus, you look at the children of Israel, they were captives for 400 years. And Moses was commissioned by God and Aaron, I suppose, to deliver them from this captivity, from an evil taskmaster, master, Pharaoh. And so, so they, the, Moses comes and, and, and then they start, all these children of Israel start seeing these plagues happening, these 10 plagues. They're, they're, just, they're just bizarre. You can read about them. It's in Exodus uh, 7 through 12, the 10 plagues. And they were so amazing, so whatever, that, that Pharaoh let them go. So they witnessed all that. And then not long after that, they came to an impasse at the Red Sea. 
And Pharaoh's army was closing back in to recapture them and take them back to Egypt, and Lord knows what would happen. And Moses prayed, and a, a flame of fire goes on the backside of him and stops Moses' army from, from coming. And then the, the wind starts blowing, and, and the sea starts opening up. Dude, that's crazy. That's crazy. And they saw it, and they smelled it, and they walked through the middle of that big opening, however long it was, on dry ground. And when they all got to the other side, when Pharaoh's army was allowed to come through, they all died. And how much wonder do you have to see? Just do that one time. You know, the jaguar was cool. Walk through the Red Sea, that's way cooler. That's way more wonderful than a car. But that's not the end of it. They started having to fight some wars. Every time they fought a war, they'd win. They get to Sinai, Mount Horeb, where God would deliver the Ten Commandments and the law to Moses. Remember that whole thing? And God starts, he starts kind of wanting to kind of communicate with them and thunder and lightning. And finally, they are so freaked out by who this God is. They say, Moses, you go up there in the mountain and talk to him. We're, stay back here. You figure out what he wants and come back and tell us. He's too awesome for us. He's too amazing for us. So Moses does that, goes up in the mountain, 40 days, gets the Ten Commandments, gets the law, comes down the mountain, and what's happened? You got to be kidding me, a golden calf. You, you're kidding me, right? You're kidding me. I mean, that's leaking wonder fast, right? How could they do that? How could that be in us that something that significant would happen? And because and, they're us, us we're, we're just people. We're just like them. Oh, they were, no, they're us. They're us. And they're worshiping a golden calf. And then what happens when that happens? Well, 3,000 men die. When you lose the wonder, there's consequences. Death can happen. And if not death, the road to death, joylessness, despair, depression. There's so many things before you even get to that point. Losing the wonder of who God is is so, so significant. And then what happened is they left Sinai finally, and they came to the Jordan River, near the Jordan River, and they sent out 12 spies, remember that? To spy out the land. Spies come back, 10 have a bad report about the giants and how difficult it's going to be to take the land. Even though they'd been through 10 plagues, they'd been eating manna from heaven every day, they got water from the rock, they witnessed God at Sinai, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And they didn't go into the promised land. Two good reports, 10 bad reports. Unbelief had taken over. And I just think, how can that possibly be? How can we leak wonder that quickly? How can that happen? And when it happens, oh my goodness, Repercussions are tough. They're brutal. And so what I want to talk about tonight, real briefly, <clears throat> while I can still talk, is I, I want to look at three things. Three, there might be 300, I don't know. But three simple ways that you can start recapturing the wonder of who God is because I think it's really important that you think about it. Because when the wonder of God, his awesomeness, so often in the Bible it says to fear the Lord, that's this whole idea. When we quit magnifying him for who he is, when we quit seeing him for who he is, 
when we quit worshiping him for who he is, things happen. And it's never a good road. It's always a bad trajectory in our walk with the Lord. And it can lead to death. It can lead to death in all kinds of ways. So, here we go. Three simple ways to start to recapture the wonder. And I'm probably going to read a little bit more tonight than normal because um, I'm I'm not feeling 100%. And so I'm going to stay on track a little bit better. So, here we go. Number one. Three simple ways to start to recapture the And I say start to recapture the wonder because it's not like this one thing you can do and you got it. It's a process. You slowly lose wonder, and I think you slowly can regain it. So this is not a one-shot wonder. This is a process, and there's three simple things you can do. I like three simple things. Number one, read. Read. Romance novels? Nah, that's not going to do it. Sports Illustrated? Nah, probably not. That's good. Nothing wrong with it. But if you want to recapture the wonder of who God is, you're probably not going to do it reading those things as good as they could be. What do I want you to read? Here's what I want you to read. I want you to read the Bible. I want you to read Exodus, where God does all these incredible things. I want you to travel with Moses again and the children of Israel. I want you to, I want you to jump in 1 Samuel and travel with David before he was, the, he was the king who wasn't quite the king. And Saul's chasing him down and he's killing a giant. And he's, he's just, it's just amazing what happens in 1 Samuel with David. Or move into the Gospels and just travel with the disciples and Jesus. And just look at what he does. And look at what he says. And look at how he responds to people. And you start to recapture the wonder. Go to Revelation. Go to the end of Revelation. See the end of all things. See how he's worshipped our God. Read the Bible. You're probably not going to recapture the, 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 the wonder in Song of Solomon as much as you will the things we talked about. There's certain books that are just like the action, super action books. So read, read your Bible. Number two, read books about great men and women who have served God. There are just so many marvelous books out, autobiographies, biographies about incredible people who had an incredible God who were used in incredible ways. And it's so inspiring. And it magnifies who God is in in real world time. When my kids were little, uh, we would do for a little, not not every morning, but sometimes we'd have little devotional things at breakfast. And sometimes I would just read a book, a simple book, not a hard book to read, about some fabulous, like, Hudson Taylor, like some story about Hudson Taylor's life. And just, I read about great men and women of God. And I think it encouraged our kids, and it made God big, and it made God big to me as I was reading those books. So, So read the Bible, especially those action places. Get some good books. And then thirdly, this is just for me, this has been so helpful for me personally. I feel like I'm doing an infomercial right now. So this is called, this book is called The Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer. Who has this, who owns this book? Okay, I have 10 of them here. So after we're done, not now, but after we're done, if you want one, just take one home, okay? Five and five, just grab one, take it home. A.W. Tozer, he died in, um, when did he die? He died, uh, I think he was 66. 
He wrote this book in 1961. And I love this book. And what I'm trying to do, and I'm not doing a very good job of it, but I'm going to keep trying, is I try to read one chapter a day. Well, what happens when you get to the end? I start right over again, and I read one chapter a day. The, the, they're short, like four or five pages. They are just, there's 23 chapters. They're just absolutely amazing how he can write about this amazing God of ours and open your eyes and your heart up to who he is. I, I think he quits after four or five pages because he knows he's probably, that's about all he can say. And he can say a lot in four or five pages. But even A.W. Tozer says, I, I, that's, all I, that's all I think I know. And, but when I read it, it just blows my mind. And this is what he says at the very beginning of the book. And I think it's relevant to us today. He wrote this book in 1961. This is a, quite a few years since that time. This is in the preface. I'm just going to read a couple paragraphs. This is what he says. He says, the message of this book does not grow out of these times, but is appropriate to them. Again, this is 1961-ish. It is, called, it is called forth by a condition which has existed in the church for some years and is steadily growing worse. I refer to the loss of the concept of the majesty from the popular, of majesty from the popular religious mind. The church has surrendered her once lofty concept of God and has substituted for it one so low, so ignoble, as to be utterly unworthy of thinking, worshiping men. This she has done not deliberately, but little by little without her knowledge. And her very awareness only makes her situation, her very unawareness only makes her situation all the more tragic. Listen to this. The low view of God entertained almost universally among Christians is the cause of a hundred lesser evils everywhere among us. A whole new philosophy of the Christian life has resulted from this one basic error in our religious thinking. With our loss of the sense of majesty has come the further loss of religious awe and conscience, consciousness of the divine presence. We have lost our spirit of worship and our ability with, to withdraw inwardly to meet God in adoring silence. Modern Christianity is simply not producing the kind of Christian who can appreciate or experience the life in the spirit. The words, be still and know that I am God, mean next to nothing. To be to the self-confident, bustling worshiper in this middle period of the 20th century. Well written. You see what he's saying? I love that line. When, when you lose the concept and the majesty of who God is, when the, when, when the wonder leaks from us, it creates a thousand lesser evils. And so that's, again, why I think it's so important to think about what we're talking about tonight, or at least what I'm talking about tonight. Okay, number one, read. I think reading, at least those types of things, can help you recapture the wonder. Ten of these when we're done. Okay. Number two. This is harder to explain, but I'll do the best I can. Number two. I think we need to do better at embracing the mystery of who God is. I think we've got to be okay, more and more okay, with what, what we cannot explain about God. We live in a world 
that highly values understanding and knowledge. It's what drives the internet. I'm on it all the time. If, I wanna, if I'm even looking for Bible verses, I, I just go to the internet. Hey, Siri, what's the verse that says? Da, 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 da. She knows all that stuff. It's packed with knowledge. The internet is so interesting. And so we have that we live in this world again that just it values knowledge and understanding. And when there's mystery, it wants to figure it out. And 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 you can and that's all that's not bad. And understanding that people come up with of the mysteries of life can be really helpful. There's nothing really wrong with that. But when it comes to a mysterious God, then they go, Well, I don't think I want that. I want a God that's reasonable. Oh God, this understandable. I'm thinking, do you really? Do you really? In other words, you want a God in your own image is basically what it is. And so I think as believers, number two, we have to be a little bit more perhaps open to this mysterious, the mysteriousness of God. You're not going to figure him out. You're, you're going to study the Bible. I hope you're studying the Bible. I try to study the Bible. But I'll tell you this, there's much more we don't know about God or ever will know than we know about God. Much more we don't know about God than what we do know about God. This is what the Bible says. Isaiah 55, 8, 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. And this, I love this line. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I love that verse. And I think that's a memorizer. I need to memorize that verse. Maybe you do too. There's mystery in our, in our walk with the Lord. There's, it's filled with mystery. It's even funny sometimes for me, I hear people say, and, it, and it's, I probably said it too, you know, in this idea of we kind of know what God would do or kind of how God thinks. You know, they say, well, I just want to do what Jesus would do. I'm just going to try to do what Jesus would do. And I go, oh, good luck on that. I mean, really, it sounds good. It feels good. Who wouldn't want to do what Jesus does? But then I look at what Jesus does and I go, ah, I wouldn't have done that. Wouldn't have done that one. Wouldn't have done that one. I bet when, when I do, do try to do what Jesus would do because I think I can kind of figure it out, he goes, I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have done that. Nope, not that either. Nope. Wrong again, Mark. He's kind. He's good. I just don't think he's that easy to figure out. And I'm okay with that. You're not going to figure him out. He's bigger than that. He's mysterious. He's mighty. He's awesome. And when you, but when you start thinking, well, I don't like that. I want to understand. I want to be able to explain it. That's not a bad thing, but you're probably going to really struggle with that. And some people struggle so hard they lose their faith over it. God is, God is just way beyond us. And I love that. But the world doesn't get it. No, they probably don't. It's okay. Only the Holy Spirit can reveal that to them. It's just the way it is. You know, in Romans 1, if, you're, if your Bible's there, just open it up real quick. Romans 1, 18. So read that super quick. Because this idea of reason and figuring everything out and really had some uh, repercussions to folks. Romans 1.18 says this. We're going to read a couple, a number of verses here, so just follow along. Romans 1.18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven 
against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, and this is what I'm talking about right here, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their own thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened, professing to be wise, professors. I can just think, you know, the old pipe thing, I just, I, I gotta stop it. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible men and the birds, four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts. And it just goes downhill. Because man, mankind, in us too, we just, we, we, we just, we want to understand how this God works, and that's okay. I'm just going to say you're not, but you're not going to get it. You're going to get some of it, and that's great. And keep trying to learn. It's, it's, it's helpful, but you're just going to get so much. Just the tip of the tip of the iceberg, because he's so much bigger than what we can manage. And if he downloaded really who he is, he's, he's, here's the thing, he's so much more than the Bible, but he's not different than the Bible. Does that make sense? He's so much more than what's in here, but he's not different than what's in here. This is a beautiful picture of who God is, but he's more than that. But this is absolutely completely true. It's who he is. It's just part of the mystery, the Trinity. Let's talk about that. Trinity. It's totally a mystery. Three and one. Is it kind of like the egg yolk? I mean, I don't, I don't think so. It's like, ah... Uh, is it like water, steam, what is it? Steam, ice, and what's the, you know, the, yeah, steam, ice, water, is it like that? And three, I don't know. I just think it's a mystery. And I'm digging on it. I just dig on it. I think it's the coolest thing. I can't begin to explain that. Because he's God. And he's big. And if he wasn't big, he wouldn't save me. He wouldn't rescue me from me. I love that about him. Trinity's a mystery. How about this? Believers becoming his body. Let's talk about that one for a while. You're his body. That's a mystery. It's a mystery that believers are robed in the righteousness of God. That you are robed in his righteousness. That God the Father sees you in his son, sees you perfectly forgiven. He sees Jesus righteousness when he sees you. That is a mystery. You can explain that one to somebody? Just run with that. Let that roll over the top of you. That's awesome. It's a mystery. It's big that God became one of us, the God-man. All God, all man. What's a mystery? How do you explain that? You don't. Let it just be what it is. Embrace mystery. Jesus rode from the dead. All right, how are we going to do that? It's mystery. That God hears our prayers. It's a mystery. Communion every Sunday. I've been up here leading it. And you know every time I'm walking up on stage, I'm going, what am I going to say? It's a mystery. 
This is my body. <sighs> okay. I'm going to tell you guys. Don't drop it. I mean, I don't know. This is my body. Take, eat. I'm going, okay. Oh, whatever that means. This is my blood. Okay. It's a kind of his blood? I don't know. It's a, what? It's a mystery. And it's awesome. And people come up here and try to talk about this stuff. It's so much bigger than us. Heavenly's doing great with it, but bigger than me. It's just bigger than him too. And I think it's wonderful when you embrace the bigness of God. Enjoy what you can, glean what you can from your study and my study, but number two, just embrace the mystery of who God is. It's marvelous. Because when you think you've got it all figured out, the only way you can come up with that is you've got to shrink him down to you. And that's not going to be good. You don't need that God. You need the real God. Number three, last but not least, it's hard to explain to develop a lifestyle of praise. Number three, develop a lifestyle of praise. Unger's Bible Dictionary is something I've got in my, in my shelves. It's awesome. You can get them at you can go online and get them probably now, but um, or just take it offline. But Unger's Bible Dictionary says, praise of God is the acknowledging of God's perfections, works, and benefits. Praise and thanksgiving are generally considered synonymous. Here's the thing. The wonder of God demands a response. When you go to the Grand Canyon, first time, any place like that, something big and you... I, I went when I was a kid. I was probably sixth grade. And I can still remember walking up the first time up to that. Like we parked the car and kind of, where is it? You know, and then you start walking like everyone's walking. And then all of a sudden, something's kind of dropping. And then you finally get to the edge. I guarantee you, everybody was like me the first time. It's like, it wasn't like this when everyone saw it. No. What was it? Why? Because wonder demands a response. If it's really wonderful, you can't help but ooh it and awe it. That's the way God made us. That's the way he made us. And when you want to recapture the wonder, you've got to be willing to ooh it and awe it again. It's called praise. That's our oohs and our awes to God. It's praise. That's all it is. And there's two types of praise. Probably the expert on praise in all the Bible is David. He's the praiser. And interesting enough, for me anyway, David, if I could pick one Bible character that I would say really exemplified and grabbed onto more than any other Bible character, the wonder of God was David. Read the Psalms. There's 150 of them. And they're just... Jesus just... You're just extolling God, psalm after psalm after psalm, and there's one word that comes back again and again and again and again and again. Praise. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God for his wonderful. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. So I think you can take a lesson from David. I think I can. If you want to recapture the wonder, learn how to praise. Learn how to praise. There's two types of praise talked about that David talks about. One is what we normally think about when it comes to, to praising, which is singing songs, right? Psalm 9-2, David says this, I will be glad and rejoice in you. 
talking to you, to God, I will sing praise to your name, almost high. So praise, the singing of songs, is a way of ooing and awing who God is. And when you praise, it helps you recapture the wonder. Wonder, wonder drives praise, and somehow praise drives wonder again. It's interesting how it works. Now, praise, singing, singing of songs, we'll talk another type of praise in a minute. That's what kind of happens with like when Trevor's here. I've been up here a bunch doing that in the past. And, and I tell you, you can come up here and practice and get your transitions right and get the band right and get the music right and get the lights right and whatever else right. And hopefully, and that doesn't mean anything's going to happen out there. Doesn't mean anything's going to happen in here. It's not up to Trevor can't lead you in praise. I can't lead you in praise. Who's the only person that can lead you in praise? You can only lead you in praise. It's you. If you want to praise, it doesn't matter what's going on up here. If you don't have a song in your heart, if if God doesn't matter, if if his wonder isn't part of your experience, what's there to praise? Honestly. It's, it's, what, it's what Tozer said in the, there's a thousand other things that happen when you lose the wonder of God. You lose the desire to praise. It's just one of the things that happens. And I see it, I see it in my own life. I see it, I think, in your life. And sometimes when I was leading worship, it's hard for me. It's like, man, I can remember times where I'd pray at the end. And it was like, there's a, I had a bite to it. Ooh, it wasn't right. It was wrong on my part. But I had kind of like, uh, no, I think we did better than that. We, you know, uh, it's not about any of that stuff. I mean, certainly a worship leader can mess up your praise. I mean, I go up here, pray all the wrong chords, do all the wrong stuff, sing the wrong words. Yeah, that's not going to help anything. But assuming that some care was taken by whoever's up here, you got to decide if you want to praise. It's up to you. I can't do that. I can lead you in you praising, if that makes sense. But I can't make you praise. I can't create that environment. It's in your heart. That's in your heart. It's a heart thing. It's not a stage thing. It's not even a music thing. It's not, oh, I like that guy. I don't like that guy. Oh, I like when Megan sings. Everybody likes when Megan sings. I like Megan sings. I'm just kidding you. She's my daughter. Who wouldn't like her? It's not that stuff. So you've got to be your own praise leader. God's got to be right. If you want to enjoy praise more, singing praise anyway, you've got to, you've got to have that right in your heart before you ever get to the church. And the second way of praising God is speaking out praise, speaking out thanksgiving. The same psalmist, uh, David, says this in Psalm 9, 13, 14, says, have mercy on me, O Lord. Consider my trouble from those who hate me. You who lifts, uh, lifts me up from the gates of death, that I may tell of all your praise in the gates of the daughter of Zion, I will rejoice in your salvation. So there's singing of praise and there's telling of praise. It's speaking words of praise. And I think it's really important. I don't know if we think about that much. At least I don't think I think about that much. It's speaking out thanksgiving for who God is. And so it becomes more a part of your conversation. And when praise becomes a part of your conversation where you just, you just start incorporating who God is more and more into who, what, how you talk. 
it, it, it does something. It, it, it's, it's quiet and it's subtle, but it, it starts to recapture the wonder of who God is. Whenever you praise him, whether you're singing or speaking about him, it recaptures wonder. It ignites something in us that's really important to not lose so much of. Because again, we leak. We leak wonder fast. How often did David praise God? Psalm 113.3 says, from the rising of the sun to its going down, the, the Lord's name is to be praised. That's what made David who he was. Wasn't he? he was like super, I mean, he might have been brave and all that stuff, but I don't know that he was that much different than us. I don't think he was. That's why Samuel didn't pick him out of the gate. That's why his dad didn't even call him over. And one of these guys going to be king? Oh, I know which one's not going to be king. David. Here, it's got to be these other guys, right? Older, singing. Hey, hey. You got any more sons? Yeah, I got one. Matt says he's always in the green leotards out. I love that. With the sheep, you know, playing or whatever. I don't know that he was anything super significant, but I'll tell you what was significant about him is that he, he magnified God. His God was big, and he didn't ever seem to get small like ours can. He didn't leak wonder very much, if at all. And that's what made David David. That's what made him a hero. That's what made him everything he was. He wasn't any different than us. He had one thing going, and that one thing changed everything. It's, he praised God. He magnified God. You can read the Psalms over and over again. Till the sun goes down, the Lord's name is to be praised. So, this guy named Thomas Trahern, I don't know who he is, but it's a great quote. It was in this book, so it's got to be a great quote. This guy named Thomas Trahern says this, as nothing, listen, as nothing is more easy than to think, so nothing is more difficult than to think well. If we ever think well, it should be when we think about God. I'll read that one more time. As nothing, as nothing is more easy than to think, so nothing is more difficult than to think well. If we ever think well, it should be when we think about God. I think that's a great quote. If you ever think well, it should be what you think about God. And I tell you, amongst a thousand million jillion things of God is he is magnificent. He is beyond anything you can imagine. He's powerful beyond all power. God's so powerful. I love this because this is in the book that when he created the heavens and the earth, and then remember, we got to the sixth day, and then he got to the seventh day. And what did he do on the seventh day? He, he rested. And I always thought, man, I always thought, well, yeah, he's, you know, he's probably bushed, you know, all that creating stuff. And, but when, when Tozer talks about omni, om, uh, omnipotence, all power, he says when God created the heavens and the earth, he, he, didn't, he didn't get to the end of the sixth day and go, man, I'm bushed, man, I got to rest. He says, when God gives out power, he doesn't lose anything because he's God. And you start thinking about stuff like that. So he gives out power, but he doesn't lose power. I give out power, and I lose power fast. When you give out power, you lose power fast. But when God gives out power, he doesn't lose any power. He doesn't doesn't get to the end of six and go, I'm tired. He says, you guys are going to be tired, so I'm going to show you that you should have a day of rest. I'm not tired at all. I could create for the rest of eternity and not lose one iota of power. 
that's who your God is. And when that becomes your God, it becomes a game changer in how you pray. It becomes a game changer in how you live your life. So often as a, as a pastor, I'm almost done. I see I'm in situations where I'm talking to people and I'm thinking, you guys are believers, right? Yeah, yeah, we're believers, right? Okay, okay so, so tell me again, how, how, did, how did you get to this situation? How did you guys get to doing this or that? I'm going, it's like they're going, uh, I don't know, yeah, I don't know. Well, maybe we should know. You know. Maybe that's important, we should know that. Because if you really believe that God is who God is, and I think, again, it's been diminished over time, you, you probably wouldn't do that. You probably wouldn't think that is at all cool. You would probably run from that as fast as you could possibly run. Well, God's gracious. God's loving. Oh, he is. Praise God. But he's also just and holy and completely, uniquely, amazingly him. <laughs> and that's, again, when you lose the wonder, you start losing a lot of things. It's really important. So as I close, I just want to remind you of this simple thing. Sometimes when it comes time to make changes in our lives, we, um, we think, well, that sounds like a lot of work. I start reading the Bible a little bit different or I got to read some other books or I got to start thinking about my praise and my speaking praise or singing praise or I got to embrace mystery. It all sounds like, ugh. But here's, what, here's the thing about God I just want you to remember. It's so important. It just takes five loaves and two fish. We think, or the enemy will make us think, oh, I, I, it's too much. He goes, will you give me five loaves and two fish of ever? Just give me that much. Just give me that much. And watch what I do with it in your life. That's who your big God is. When you have the big God idea, that makes sense. If you have a small God idea, that doesn't make any sense. So it's not like you have to reinvent yourself. You just have to turn and say, God, I want to do better. I want to try to start recapturing the wonder of who you are. I see the importance of it, and I'm going to start doing it this way. That's all it takes. I'm not asking you to do something every day. I'm just asking you to do something and ask God to multiply it and bless it. I, you know what? I think he will because that's who he is. He's always going to be that way. He's wonder hyphen full. He just is. So Jesus, tonight, we just thank you for being who you are. And Lord, forgive us, forgive me for so easily and so quickly diminishing you and ultimately creating you or recreating you in my own image. Lord, the God that I would make in my image could not save me. The God I would make in my own image could not prepare a heaven for us. The God that I would make in my image, Lord, in every way would fail me in the world. So, Lord, forgive me. And, Lord, I would pray for myself and for my brothers and sisters that you would, through your spirit, Lord, encourage us to do those little things that can turn into big things in our walk with you. And, Lord, help us in these things, we pray. Remind us of what we've heard tonight. Build on it, Lord, as you would build on it. We love you, we trust you, and we just want to be a bunch of people, Lord, that are learning how to magnify you. In Jesus' name, amen.